Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And I am one of those people who really, really loves babies. Molly of Stuff Mom Never Told You said that whenever we go out to lunch or dinner and I get really distracted and start smiling at someone behind her, she knows it's a baby and not a guy. So, of course, I would love a baby king, and we're not talking about the kind you find in your king cake either. And our topic is sandwiched somewhere in between Peter the Great and Catherine the Great. And we have this infant who's been chosen to rule Russia. But if you are starting to get a growing sense of unease here, because our royal children so often have terrible fates, you are right on track. So who is this baby? He is Ivan VI, also known as Ivan Antonovich, born in August 1740. His parents are Prince Anton Ulrich, who's a nephew of Holy Roman Emperor Charles VI, and Anna Leopoldovna. So he has rather illustrious beginnings. And that's because Anna, his mother, is also the niece of Empress Anna Ivanovna, who is one of four very important women in our story, and that is Anna Leopoldovna. Anna Ivanovna and Elizabeth Petrovna, followed by Catherine the Second. Yeah, the one who everybody knows, I'm sure. And so this is just our major group of Russian political women in this story and try to keep track of all of their very similar names. He's born into Anna's court, and she was Ivan V's daughter and Peter the Great's niece. And as a side note, Ivan V is an interesting man in his own right. He was ruler only in name because he was plagued by several illnesses, and his sister Sophia was the real power behind the throne. But in our story, Anna had become ruler in 1730. She was elected by the Supreme Privy Council, but the council tried to limit her power and take more of it for their own. But there were three entities opposing this. Anna herself, of course, the imperial guards and the lesser nobility, because changing power from an autocracy to an oligarchy disadvantage them. If you know the power is spread out, that means there are more obstacles to the ruler. More people who you have to bribe and court their favor. You can't just go to the queen's main folks. And that means you may have trouble ascending to the position of power you so dearly desire. So Anna gets rid of the Privy Council altogether. That's one way to do away with that problem. And she banishes and executes a few of them and a few of her detractors. So she gives most of the power of her court to Ernst Johann Buren, who is her favorite guy and restores the secret police under his command. So he's her her number two, essentially. He may have been Anna's favorite, but he was not a favorite with anyone else. He was Baltic German instead of Russian Russian, and he has a reputation for being very cruel and corrupt. Enemies of the administration were banished beheaded and tortured, and the general impression was that his police force watched out for the Germans and punished the Russians, which did not endear him to the Russians. And most of Anna's favorites are Baltic Germans anyway, so it's doubly bad almost, um, because you have so many of these people in positions of power, it serves as an obstacle for anyone else to get access to the Empress, too. And her rule was not particularly popular for some other reasons. She levied very heavy taxes. 
She liked humiliating nobles in front of the court, and she was rather an extravagant spender on as far as clothes and gambling goes, which, again, the, the poorer people don't enjoy if you remember the story of Marie Antoinette. <laughs> well, and aside from her clothes and humiliating nobles, too, she does get involved in the War of Polish Succession, and she t- attacks Turkey, so other less endearing qualities. So, in short, people are very disgruntled. They don't much like their empress, and some, of course, blame the fact that she's a woman on the country's problems. So there's a sense of growing troubles for our empress here. So she must decide on a successor, and she didn't have children. But what about her great-nephew, Ivan Antonovich? Burin or Ivan's mother could serve as regent, and it's a good thing that she picks him when she does, because she dies in October 1740. Ivan VI is two months old, and he has the throne. So Burin is initially appointed regent, but he's very quickly overthrown by other members of the German clique and sent off to Siberia, as so often happens. And the men who overthrow him aren't that much better, though. They're just as unpopular with everybody else, and they don't even stick together. Their German clique is not very much of a clique because there's a lot of infighting and it tears. What have we learned about infighting? It weakens your government. Yeah, definitely. So Anna Leopoldovna takes the reins. And away she's from, Ivan's mother again. Yes, to, to keep all these Annas straight. She takes the power, the power of the regent, but she's actually pretty out of touch with her people as well. And her foreign policies are unpopular. She too favors the Baltic Germans, so it just seems like more of the same. So we have an unhappy people, a baby ruler, his mother, the unpopular regent, and an infighting type of government. It's time for an uprising. So how about Elizabeth Petrovna? So Elizabeth has a, a an even more illustrious background than our young Ivan here. She's Peter the Great's daughter with Catherine I, and people like her so much. She's really smart. She's lovely. She's very Russian, as Katie would say. She's Russian, Russian. <laughs> and she's Peter the Great's daughter. So, I mean, what what more can you ask for? And she wasn't very politically involved until this rule of Anna Leopoldovna. And then her eye is on the prize. This is her chance, if she's ever to have one. The high officials support her, as do the guards and plenty of foreign diplomats. So we begin a palace conspiracy, and there is a coup d'etat in 1741, in which she overthrows Ivan VI and Anna Leopoldovna with the help of the guards, after less than a year of rule, waking them up in the middle of the night and arresting them, Elizabeth is now the empress. So after the coup, the family and their advisors are arrested, and the family is imprisoned at the fortress of Riga. They're actually exiled to Kolmogori, but just because they're far away doesn't mean that they've been forgotten. And in December 1741, the new government demands the return of coins minted with Ivan VI as the figurehead, promising new coins in return. But what would you do if your government told you maybe send in all of your coins? And sure, we'll give you new ones once we get yours. Understandably, a lot of people hold on to their money, about 24,000 rubles worth of coins, according to historians. Well, and, and they, a lot of them liked Ivan VI. They liked the idea, the promise of who he was supposed to be. And they wanted to hold on to that. They continue to hold on to this idea that perhaps he will come back and he will take over the throne. As, as popular as Elizabeth grew to be, 
he was still in in the hearts this of is, many Russians. Right, in the heat of things, too, of course. So life goes on for the exiled royal family, too. And Anna actually has more children in exile before she dies in March of 1746. And these kids are eventually released because, of course, they're not so closely tied to the throne as Ivan is. Although they always stay not secluded, but in their own kind of private, a bit reclusive court because they grew up in exile. They've yeah. never quite had that uh, socialization that yeah. they should have when they were little. Life doesn't exactly go on for Ivan. He's taken from his family at four years old, and he never saw them again. For most of his life, he was entirely isolated in solitary confinement under very strict guard. He was sent to Schlisselburg Fortress in 1756, and there he would remain for the rest of his life. His jailers weren't even allowed to talk to him. It was said he only saw sunlight twice in his time there, although that may be a bit of a dramatic flourish to our story. So imagine what he must have been like, raised for 20-something years in prison from the time he was a little boy, without his family, without communication, without anything to do. I I imagine him being a bit of a of a shell of a human being. He never got to that development. Yeah, well, we, have a, have, we have a kind of a historical idea of what it could be like from our uh, Catherine de' Medici podcast and her husband, Ray. Exactly. At least he has his brother, though. But the two of them emerge from prison totally shattered, really sullen boys. And they don't even spend their whole lives growing up in prison like Ivan. And in the meantime, Elizabeth has died. Peter III has taken over and then was mysteriously killed. And then Catherine the Great has become the ruler. And Elizabeth had kept him in prison so long because, of course, he was this this symbol, a, a possibility of a return to something else, an idea that people held on to. And Catherine the Great feels the same way. He's he's always been a threat, even when he's locked up. In July 1764, Ivan is killed by his guards with sabers and bayonets, something we probably could have seen coming this whole podcast. And they had been ordered to slay him if there was ever an escape attempt at the prison. And someone, a Lieutenant Mirovich, tries to free him. And so this plan goes into action. And there are two theories about Mirovich's attempt, though. One is he thought that if he could get Ivan out, they could unseat Catherine II, who had gotten the throne in 1762. So it would be starting a mutiny, starting a a, a second coup. The second theory, though, is that Ivan was murdered on Catherine the Great's orders. She knew full well the orders of the prison, that if anyone tried to free the young prince, anything like that happened. When she reinforced them, she made it sure that, again, if there was any sort of escape attempt, any kind, you were supposed to kill him. So in that case, this would be a politically motivated assassination with Mirovich under Catherine's control. People had already thought that perhaps Catherine had had Peter III killed, and there were many who thought she was also responsible for Ivan's death. It made her very unpopular in parts of Europe, and she was even called the devil in a diadem by a prime minister. Ivan VI was buried in a secret place and then his grave destroyed, but his legend lived on because... This story of the sad little ruler locked away for life on the orders of two powerful women. And how could that not mean something? It sounds like a really scary fairy tale. And of course, people persist in believing that he's really alive and would return sometime. Again, 
reminds us of our Romanovs episode. This this podcast keeps on throwing back to earlier ones, but the Romanovs keep on people keep on believing in them. And of course, Ivan the Sixth was just this political pawn again with our theme of how unfortunate it is to be born a royal child. He spends his infancy in a crown and the rest of his, you know, whole short life in a prison and all because of what he symbolized and how many times will we explore this idea in the podcast. And while we were researching this podcast, we did get much more intrigued by the story of our possibly murderous Catherine the Great. So get ready for a podcast on her. If you have any great ideas like Lauren's that you would like to send to us, our email is historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Mist in History or join our Facebook fan page to see what we're up to. And please check out our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 